The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Kathy and I do appreciate your prayers for us as we go to Cameroon on Wednesday. Let me just tell you the preaching plan for the next three weeks. Um, Pastor Tom, our other pastor emeritus, will be preaching next Sunday, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and then the following Two Sundays, our elders, Mike Lane and Paul Delahunt, will be preaching. And then when I return to the pulpit on February 12th, we'll begin going through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, just to tell you, we're going to jump in to Luke in chapter 3. You think, why start in chapter 3? Because we're going to save chapters 1 and 2 for Advent. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> just save that. And uh, so that's the plan. And uh, that's what's coming. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King's actual birthday and the national holiday. And as you know, it's an occasion for Americans to reflect and reckon with our history of race relationships and to resolve to live out our ideals as a country liberty and justice for all, all the more. And as such, there are countless articles and podcasts and books and documentaries and discussions to be referenced toward that end, both by unbelievers and by, and by Christians. And as the country reflects, believers reflect on on our own history and reckon with our past and resolve to grow in our fleshing out, living out the racial reconciliation that Christ has accomplished by reconciling us to God as one people and thereby reconciling us to one another and praying and calling one another to to labor in fleshing that out and preserving that all the more this profound unity that we have in Christ. My concern about the church is reflected in my sermon. Um, My concern is that as Christians, it would be a grave mistake to simply import popular ideas and secular ideologies and strategies for reconciliation and harmony and diversity into the church and naively think such secular approaches that are faithless will bring about supernatural results in the church. 
In fact, they may have the appearance of wisdom, but in the end will do harm to one another. So I have a burden that reflects why I pick texts like I did here and why I say what I'm going to say. Perhaps believers pull in the secular ideologies and strategies because they believe, should I say we believe? We, we might believe that the Bible is, is too simplistic in its call to unity and love. Well, so simplistic, let's go, let's bring this in, let's bring this in. But the Bible's not naive or simplistic. It teaches doctrine and practice to unite Jew and Gentile in the gospel, a division as deep or deeper than any of the divisions that we have today. You know, if you think the new commandment of Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, is simplistic, you either don't know Jesus or you've not pondered the love of Jesus for you. There's nothing simplistic and easy about it. It's deep and profound and hard and real. So I have this deep burning biblical new commandment burden when it comes to ethnic harmony that, that the new commandment would be underneath everything that we do in this area, and really, everything that we do as a church, right? It's a big deal <laughs> in New Testament Christianity. Yeah, so, the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, is it not? Well, our text, I'm really keying in on verse 7, yeah, the, the slide there was, was correct until about Monday. I, I thought I was going to do verses 1 through 7, and on Monday I changed it to, well, we're going to do 5 through 7, and what you're going to hear today is we're going to do 7. <laughs> Here's my journey. Um, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want to think about that and apply it to our community life. So my aim this morning is to call us to love one another, and the manner of love I have in view is, in light of our text, to welcome one another. And, I, and right there, I have to commend so many of you because you're so good at this. You know, countless, countless of you just spontaneously Love others with a, with a welcome, with hospitality. And some of you serve as, as like professional welcomers, as, as greeters on the welcome team and ushers. It's just one of the ways that you, that you serve this body of Christ by warmly welcoming people. And, and I have to sing the praises of our pastry team and our kitchen crew for, for serving up food for us on Sundays and Wednesdays just to catalyze our culture. Yeah, that's good. Do that. 
catalyze our culture of one another welcoming. Um, I have to say this for Pastor John's encouragement. Maybe I said this before. But John, you used to stand here and say, the problem with the relational culture here at Bethlehem is me. You used to say that. That's not true. The problem was we didn't have pastries and good coffee on Sundays. Oh, how I love the linger after church now. It didn't used to be that way. We used to benedict. Amen. That wasn't in the manuscript. I'm sorry about that. Where was I? <laughs> Just commending those of you who, have, who are doing this. And, and so, you know, if I were to, you know, what am I doing? I, I don't want to, I mean, disparage or belittle any one of us for our measures of welcome that we're doing right now. But rather, if I kind of put it in the words of 1 Thessalonians 4 9, what I'm saying is you have been taught by God to love one another and indeed that is what you're doing. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and more. So there it is. Just a call for more love, more welcome in this church and toward that end, let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word and for your son and your gospel and your love and your welcome. And I pray now, I pray verse 5, may you, the God of endurance and encouragement, grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, make it so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you might remember at the end of the service, I, I did one of those things that I do from time to time. And, you know, we say amen, and I say, greet one another as you leave. Why did I say that? <laughs> uh, b- because the, that practice is, is just basic in the New Testament for community life, for the life of the church, you know, I could have said, greet one another with a holy kiss, but I didn't, because uh, culturally that would be a little awkward. But just it's basic. It's a basic pattern of the New Testament. I want to tell you a story. Some time ago, a man named Carl, uh, become, who has become a friend and member of our church family, told me what happened in one of those moments a few years ago, actually several years ago now, he and his wife Alice had come to our church and as an interracial marriage, he was African-American, his wife was, was white, was Anglo, they were drawn to the ethnic harmony that we taught and they heard in our teaching and that they could see in relationships. I mean, I remember growing up being the me that I am. I was just so fascinated whenever I saw an interracial couple or a mixed-race person. It's like, just notice. Well, they noticed people like them here. And um, since they were newcomers, they didn't know anybody. So they came in and they went out. And the way Carl says it is for about six months, without any words of conversation... 
feeling alone in the crowd over and over again. So nobody was talking to them. I know this happens to everyone, irrespective of ethnicity, and we really don't want it to happen to anybody. But when you're a minority, like I said, you're kind of taking the temperature like, am I welcome here? In the providence of God, on the day that Carl had decided, I'm not coming back to this church unless somebody talks to me. So I ended the service in the providence of God with that welcome one another, greet one another before you leave on the way out. And at that moment, a man named Larry spun around and introduced himself to Carl. Uh, Larry's married to an Alice. Carl's married to an Alice. So the Alice's and the Larry and Carl, they met each other and Larry invited Carl and his wife to to small group and they became deep friends. Very deep friends. Formed a bond of friendship. Uh, I mentioned small group. Uh, Larry and Carl together led uh, our racial, were part of the leaders of our racial harmony, our ethnic harmony efforts here for several years, probably six, seven years. And uh, after a decade or so, um, Larry went to be with the Lord and, and Carl and Alice joined one of our church plants in St. Paul, the revitalization, the Heights Church, where he still is. He's an elder there. He still serves on the board of City Joy. I tell you that story to show you that this text is extremely practical and helpful in building a culture of welcome, a gospel culture that breeds ethnic harmony. A context. The Apostle Paul sent this richly theological letter, you know, Romans, of all things, you know, to, to, the, to the church in Rome, and uh, it's so rich in its theology, and it's so down-to-earth in its, its practical uh, commands and living out the gospel. And in, in Romans 14, Paul writes to address people with deeply held convictions of conscience that had potential to divide the church and destroy the unity of the church. So, in, in short, due to conscience, some believers, probably with Jewish ethnicity or religious backgrounds, Jewish religious backgrounds, felt they needed to observe Jewish ceremonial laws relating to eating and drinking and the observance of religious holidays. And others, probably, the Gentile believers in the church without the Jewish religious background believe in the gospel. They're free from those Jewish observances. So there's the conflict. Deeply held convictions about observing the law, which the gospel clearly says we're free not to observe, but some have a conscience to observe certain aspects of it. So there's the division. And so beginning, it, it's... It, Paul says a lot about this. Begins in Romans 1.14 and doesn't end till the end of our text. Um, 
just Paul addressing this conflict of differing convictions in order that the believers in the church not cause division by these deeply held convictions of conscience. Now, just pause right there. I'm just climbing into the context for a minute. In our context today, it's, it's not Jewish religious observances that have the potential to convictionally divide us. It's things such as the polarizing topics of the day, of the culture. And it could be argued that one of the most divisive people have deep convictions about might just well be ideologies and strategies concerning ethnic harmony in the church and racial justice in the world. Those differences have divided our country and that's not surprising. But you know what's profoundly disappointing to me is that those deeply held convictions have divided the church really bugs me. It feels satanic that those differences divide the church of Jesus Christ. Well, this text says Christ has welcomed us and we belong to him. God has united us in Christ and it ought not be that differences about Jewish ceremonial law <laughs> or not divide us and it ought not be Differences of convictions on strategies or ways to think about ethnic harmony in the church or racial justice in the world divide us. It ought not be. So, just as a side note, I recommend that you go online and read the, the paper that the elders wrote in February of 2021. It's entitled, Ethnic Harmony affirmations and denials and one of the statements there under the heading heading number nine item number nine political engagement says this and it cites Romans 14 in support of this statement it says I'll just read one sentence and trust you to read the whole thing Fellow church members should agree on what the Bible clearly commands and they should recognize Christian freedom on issues that require wisdom. And Romans 15 would add, and not divide over those wisdom calls. So the opportunity we have is to partner with one another and serve one another in love. And when I say that, I'm talking about racial harmony in the church. And then the other opportunity that we have is meeting here in the middle of downtown Minneapolis or on the east side of downtown Minneapolis. We are surrounded by myriads of people. Myriads of people of different ethnicities all around us, even different religions around us that don't know Jesus. And when, when we bring the gospel to them, you know what? They will know that we really are disciples of Jesus. How? By our love for one another. 
and our love for them. I'm going to give you another homework assignment. I believe these articles from Christianity Today are available even if you don't subscribe to the magazine. The last article in the current Christianity Today is about the conversion story of a man from Saudi Arabia. His name is Al-Fadi. And he came to the U.S. and he was loved. He was welcomed by a Christian family and then a Christian brother and God spoke to him the gospel through the through the Gospel of John, and he became a believer, and he found this gospel is real and better than the Islam that I grew up with. It's real. God loves me, and these people love me, and he surrendered to Jesus. It's a great story. So, it's, it doesn't just impact our one another life. It impacts our outreach as well. I've got to get to the text now. Here's my outline. The three clauses of verse 7 break down nicely into, three, into answering three questions. What, how, and why. Let's take the what. The command is simple. What. Welcome one another. The, the word means receive, bring... Bring, bring to one side. Bring alongside. And uh, just give you a, a, a sampling of how that word is used in the, in the New Testament. Welcome is what the native Maltese islanders did to Paul and the people that were shipwrecked. Remember, we came across this in Acts 28 a few months ago. Uh, Paul and some 200 plus People on the ship were shipwrecked and they came ashore all wet and dripping and cold. And the text says, the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled the fire and they, they welcomed us. There it is. Because it had begun to rain and it was cold. <laughs> Welcome means greeting people with kindness and meeting their needs. Welcome is what Priscilla and Aquila did. When they heard Apollos speaking, he spoke the gospel, and yet he didn't have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. So it's an kind of an incomplete explanation of the gospel. So the text says Priscilla and Aquila welcomed him. That is, they, they brought him to their side and they explained the way of God to them. They, they taught him what he didn't know about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and so rather than kind of shun him, that guy's got a defective gospel, let's get away from him, they, they chose to draw close to him and teach him. And so here we can say, well, welcome includes this idea of, I mean, it's not an indiscriminate um, affirming of whatever. It's a welcoming people, drawing people to our side. And if they lack biblical understanding, teaching them. Welcome does not mean approval of defective or false teaching. In fact, it means love to correct false teaching. And neither does it mean welcome and affirming of sin or sinful lifestyles, but it would be bringing the truth to bear on sin and sinful lifestyles. In Philemon, Paul uses the word there where he urges Philemon to 
except his runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul says, if you consider me your partner, receive or welcome. Welcome Onesimus as you would receive or welcome me. (laughs) Here we could say welcome means receiving a a brother in Christ even when it means defying the, the social conventions of the day. So it, it's a great word. It's a, it's a beautiful world, word. It's not, doesn't mean what so many churches around the city mean when they plaster it on the outside of the building. I tried to give it some definition here. It means welcome, receive one another in the Lord. Come bring, bring others alongside in, in grace and truth and, and kindness, meeting needs um, for the advancement of, of the gospel and, and sanctification and, and brotherly love. That's the what. So what about how? Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. What's the answer to the how? As Christ welcomed you. So then I go... Well, how has Christ welcomed us? And first, I I went to the New Testament. I actually went to Matthew first just to see how he welcomed people when he was walking this earth. Here's a a collection of things that I found. First, I just made the observation without going to Matthew's Christ welcomed us by taking initiative. Really, it's the Trinity that took the initiative. God sent his son. Jesus humbled himself, born of the Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Jesus welcomed us by coming to us. He he came after us. He took initiative. Uh, We love him because he came after us. Uh, so that's the first observation. Second one is, is from Matthew and Luke. How has Christ welcomed us? He welcomed all kinds of people. He welcomes all kinds of people. You know, it, this is uh, from the Gospels. He chose, you know, Simon and Peter and Andrew, these fishermen, blue-collar guys, to be his first disciples. And then they were joined by two more fishermen, James and John, sons of thunder, whatever that means. I don't know. I don't think they were quiet people. Um, Simon, the, the political zealot, you know, he's like that really zealous political guy that might bother a lot of us. Doesn't probably bother some of you. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, this is just where he started with his disciples. Everybody hated tax collectors. Jesus welcomes the needy, people with really messy lives. And the list I'm going to read are physical illnesses and demon possession. This is Matthew 4, 24. The sick and those afflicted with various diseases, and this struck me, and pains. Here's a bucket. People with pains. Jesus welcomed. Those sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and those having seizures and paralytics came to him and he healed them. 
and lepers came to him and he touched them. He received a Roman soldiers. You know, if tax collectors were hated, all the more Roman soldiers who were occupying Jerusalem were hated. He received the Roman soldier who came to him asking for the healing of his servant. And, oh, don't we know he welcomes sinners? Us, you and me, with sin sickness. And, and you know this caused great offense to the Pharisees, and they used it as an accusation against him. I'm going to read this. It's Matthew 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So they come in and he welcomes them. Have a seat. Bring them near. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. Not only that, Jesus invites and welcomes all who would come to him. Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And at the feast, he stood up and said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will welcome. I will never cast out. And not only that, Jesus welcomes us at great cost of his own life. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was to die. Jesus lived a life of welcoming all kinds of people, needy people, sinners. He invites all to come to him by the grace of the Father, and he welcomes us at great cost to himself in laying down his life for us. Let me go another step. How has Christ welcomed you? You know, if you just think about it. How has Christ welcomed you? Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Well, he came to me. He, he broke into my life and awareness by his presence and word and spirit and love. He took the initiative. I wouldn't have messy sinner that I am. He, he didn't turn away from me. He welcomed me. 
He gave himself for me. He washed me. He gave me all the riches of his grace and all his promises of eternal life. He brought me into fellowship with himself and the Father forever. Verse 7 says, welcome people like that. I mean, there's nothing in that that sounds simplistic to me. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Love one another as I have loved you. Hear the echo, it's just crystal clear. Third question. Why? For the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, <laughs> makes perfect sense. When we love one another as Christ has loved us, and he has loved us for the glory of God, our loving one another reflects Christ and brings glory to God <laughs> and demonstrates the gospel of God to the world and to one another. And when we, we, we know this here, I'm going to just say it. When we live for the glory of God, we live for the big purpose of the universe. This is the chief end. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is a big deal. So I need to close and... What I did is I just came up with a list of expressions of welcome that might catalyze your, your uh, engagement in verse 7. You know, I got to thinking about this. I thought, you know, <laughs> this, this could be misunderstood. Let me just try it. Uh, if you care about ethnic harmony, put down the book. Put down the book that you're reading. <laughs> like I said, it could be misunderstood. Just set it aside for a while. And let the laboratory where you practice ethnic harmony and welcome be here. Be with real people. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, it's just crazy funny. Um, and, and it happens in missions too, I know this. Like, uh, I could use the missions illustration because it would be further away from us. Let me, let me try that. I, hey, I know all about Muslims, I, and I read about them, I've been studying them for years, so I meet with a Muslim and say, hey, I know all about you. What do you know about them? Almost very little. <laughs> Talk. <laughs> Welcome. Get to know. Same with ethnic harmony, you know. I mean, I've had people who kind of tell me, well, since you're African-American, I'm, I'm mixed race. Well, I, I, you're thinking this. Well, that's not what I'm thinking. I mean, <laughs> people are people, and, and the call to welcome is, is a people. Uh, you know, like real live skin on people. <laughs> and so it's, it's not to be mastered in, this, in the library. 
But the playing field, the context for ethnic harmony in the church is the church. So I, I, don't, I think perhaps putting down the books to tell you what people are like and add to the simplicity of this profoundly impossible command here ah, might be really good for us and lean in and get to know one another and, um, and probe those deep convictional differences with a confidence that the glue, the connection of the love of Christ and his welcome of us will hold us together in those deep, the, those deeply held convictions that might be different. Okay, here's my list. Welcome one another with initiative. You know, if I'm in need, I probably won't tell you. If I'm lonely, I'm not going to walk in a room and say, you know, I'm lonely. Can somebody talk to me? <laughs> it doesn't go that way. But rather, let's not be people who wait, but let's kind of be observant, have our antennas up to take initiative to move toward one another. You know, and some of you do this. Some of you are just really good at this. Some of you came here this morning kind of on the lookout for talking to people, welcoming people. Some of you, I mean, I know this has happened. Some of you came prepared to invite somebody to lunch that you don't even know yet. You don't know who it is yet. The table's set for more than you, than you have sitting down, right? So you go to church and you say, Darren, would you come to lunch with me? Uh, we've got the table set for you. I just didn't know who I was going to invite. People do this with reservations at restaurants. And I don't know if you've read Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, all about how hospitality is this great means of love for one another and outreach. And uh, she, she uses soup. She says Sunday morning she puts on a bucket of soup and then she can just invite as many people as she wants because you can just add a little water to the soup. You know, it's just going to keep stretching. Welcome one another with initiative. Number two, welcome all kinds of people. You know, I, I'm, this might come off wrong too. I'm not a fan of genetically engineered churches where leadership says, you know, I want this percentage of this ethnicity and this percentage of this ethnicity, or you could do it with your own friends. Look, I, I need one black friend. I, I need one Asian friend. I don't have an Indian friend. I better get an Indian. I'm not really a fan of like genetically engineered churches when it applies on the corporate level or on the individual level. This text says, I mean, it, it's, it's broad, and yes, it does apply to ethnic harmony, but it applies to welcome people who are not like you. Welcome people that you may be uncomfortable with. Welcome people with differing convictions Talk not just to the people you're comfortable with, but, but others. Welcome all kinds of people. And, you know, good night. In the city, we, we can have a lot of practice with all kinds of people here. Welcome one another when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient and hard. I, I almost think, you know, it's so crazy to me that, I mean, it's not crazy. It makes sense that when ethnic harmony gets hard, it breaks down and blows up. 
Here's what bugs me about that. When ethnic harmony gets hard, that's the very time we need the sufficient grace of Christ and the power of Christ to push through it. That's the opportunity. Unbelievers can love when it's easy. But welcome when it's uncomfortable, inconvenient, hard, costly, unnatural. When the ideological differences seem so great. That's when the love of Christ shines and the power of the gospel is needed. Welcome to know other people. Nobody wants to be a project, right? Like, I would like to check you off as my friend, you know. I need, a, I need a Latin American friend. I need a Hispanic friend. Would you be that? Nobody wants to be your project. So I just say, welcome to know other people. You know, think about it. Jesus says, I know my own, and my own know me. And we know that we were foreknown before the foundation of the world. We are not Jesus' project. He knows us, and he loves us, and so may we welcome one another to know other people. And lastly, let's love one another with intentionality. You know, you come into a context like this on Sunday morning. Let's, let's be intentional. Let's have an eye for maybe those who don't seem to know others, like Carl in my illustration. Maybe have an eye for those who might seem more introverted. An eye for those who may be different ethnically, socioeconomically. I, I personally like when our welcome extends to kids. <laughs> hey, hi. I just I think something about that. Like Jesus welcoming the children, it scales. Welcome the elderly. This is a command to us all. And uh, I can't say as a... I can't say, as a member of, of this ethnic group or that ethnic group, hey, this text says your job is to welcome me. <laughs> it calls us all. I really like that. It calls us all to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. All of us, even with the differing convictions about ethnic harmony or something else. What do I see in that? Here's what I see in that. If I insist that our unity, my unity, is defined on my deeply held convictions on how to live out and flesh out racial harmony, ethnic harmony in the church, what have I done? I have displaced the center of unity from where it belongs. The center of our unity is the welcome of Christ. It's the gospel. And therein we will find the beauties and joys and adventure of ethnic harmony. Not in any one version of how to flesh it out but there.
in Jesus, in Christ, and in the gospel. Father in heaven, make it so. Give us your help and your mind in all of this. Grant that we would welcome one another as you have welcomed us for your glory. So we ask you, we ask you again for verse 5. Grant us endurance and encouragement to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.